3: Hey everyone, this is Travis May, the host of the College of Kenton podcast. Before we dive in, I just thought I'd take a moment to say thank you for making this show so much fun for me this year. Just wanted to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Say thanks for this great year. 25 episodes in and it's been a blast. And also just want to say thank you to Rotoviz Radio because they've given me an opportunity and a platform to share this fun show with you guys. They have a great website, tons of awesome tools. I write a bunch of stuff for them: college football, NFL, NFL draft, a whole bunch of fun stuff to play with for fantasy football. Great gift to get somebody this time of year is a Rotoviz subscription. And you can do that and get it 10% off for them. You just go to Rotoviz.com and use the promo code. 2020 rv radio to get 10 off your next road of subscription you won't regret it tons of awesome tools tons of awesome articles and a great gift to give this holiday season but really just want to say thank you for making this year awesome it's been fun getting to know some of the listeners but i hope you guys enjoy this very special episode of one of the final episodes of this year of the college of Kenton podcast
1: To the home of professional football, Canton,
3: Ohio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Travis May. And if you're joining us for the first time, College to Canton is a show where we talk about everything from college football recruiting to end season college and NFL breakdowns to NFL draft coverage, all the way to discussions about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We always talk some fantasy football since this is a Rotoviz radio podcast, but we also make sure to dive into some real college football and NFL analysis too. Last week, uh, we did take the week off. Sadly, I had some things come up, Uh, just uh, 2020 is one of those years that uh, throws some things at you and uh, uh, you just got to move on and and push through anyway. But uh, the the week before, we actually had the 2021 NFL Draft Rookie Big Board 2.0. Had a couple guests on that also contribute for RotoViz. Talked about the top twenty-four rookies that we believe will be drafted highest in rookie drafts for dynasty fantasy football leagues next year. So definitely go back check that out if you haven't already. But this week I'm joined by two more guests. You may recognize uh, the voice of Kane Facel. You can find him on Twitter at Debbie underscore Kane. A great friend friend of the show. Been on here recently with Shane talking about some NFL draft risers. Just I believe, four episodes ago. I'm also joined by Jarek Backus. You can find him on Twitter, at Jarek Backus, and that's J-E-R-R-I-C-K-B-A-C-K-O-U-S on Twitter. Uh, really just came across a fun database of his, uh, looking at production from all of the best players in college football to begin the season I was like man that's awesome he updates it every single week so you can go to his twitter page and find that and subscribe to his patreons really great resource if you're into uh, wide receiver production running back production quarterback anything any kind of production for fantasy football great tool kane you can find his work uh in a few different places actually he was telling me before the show he's got some new stuff in the works but also his Debbie Marketplace podcast is a lot of fun too. But we are going to dive into this week a topic that Kane knows I love very much, and and he doesn't necessarily, but that's why I have him on the show. Uh, And it is college production and and what that means uh, in terms of translating to the NFL, in terms of success, in terms of predicting draft capital, uh, and, and what we can find out by just taking a closer look at the numbers of all of our favorite prospects. But what I understand is, That uh, I don't want to just spray a bunch of numbers at you guys and expect you all just to, with pen and paper, write everybody's metrics down and have it all memorized. I want to have a discussion as as to how it fits and just how to practically apply it within your leagues. And uh, hopefully we'll have some good discussion as I know that Jarek and Kane play fantasy football and just look at NFL draft prospects and college prospects in different ways uh, completely. So, I try to use both. Try to use both in my analysis. I'm not, hopefully, uh, if you guys want to use more film or more numbers after the show, you'll be able to do do so in a better, more fun way. So, without further ado, going to dive right into that. But I can't do it without first mentioning the man of the hour on the NFL side, and that is Jalen Hurts, because Jalen Hurts uh, not only did he basically send me to a fantasy football championship, but he had. 338 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, 63 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown. A huge game, uh, just coming out of nowhere essentially to win some people, some fantasy championships. Sorry if it's too soon for those of you who just lost to him this week. We'll we'll send some prayers your way. You're in our thoughts this week for sure. But to me, I looking back at it now, he's somebody that we should have seen just from a production standpoint. Like this guy's gonna be a hit. Like he had a Two consecutive seasons of at least 11.9 adjusted yards per pass attempt or better, finished with 1,300 rushing yards in his final season. It seems like, looking back on it, it's kind of a no-brainer. So, Jarek, were you really high uh, on Jalen Hurts coming out uh, just because of the numbers, or was there anything about him that you liked, or were you not really a Jalen Hurts guy uh, throughout the draft process this year?
2: I was definitely a Jalen Hurts guy coming out this year. Yeah, he was... He was ranking pretty high in my my models and yeah i mean i drafted him in multiple leagues because he would fall into the uh, later rounds for especially one qb fifth round one qb
3: oh man fifth time. round yeah and that's just yeah. a steal and you can get that kind of production that late and even in in some super flex and two quarterback leagues of mine I, he was falling way too far i found him i mean i, I actually got him as low as pick uh 31 in uh, a Superflex, 14-team Superflex league where you can start two quarterbacks, was able to get Jalen Hurts that late. So really ecstatic about that. And that was the league that I, I I actually had Carson Wentz as well and just pushed me over to the top of the playoffs So or to the championship. So so pumped about that. But uh, Kane, were you a Jalen Hurts guy yourself or, or not coming out of the uh, draft?
1: Um, I, I wasn't a fan of the, of the landing spot for me. I, I was a huge Carson Wentz fan. I think if really if anyone at the start of the season – truly would have said that Carson Wentz was going to be this bad. Everyone would have said that they were lying, right? Like there's just no way of knowing that Carson Wentz was going to be this atrocious, right? right? So the thought of like him being behind Carson Wentz, who had a really big contract, which probably wasn't looked like he was going to get moved, anything like that. Um, So it wasn't great for me. I think that was a lot of the reason why he slid in a lot of these drafts, like you guys are saying, um, just because the landing spot was was full yuck town (laughs) as soon as it (laughs) happened, right? But then... But then, as soon as right, Carson Wentz just played like like the second coming of a really really bad quarterback. Just name one, you'll find him. Carson <laughs> Ponder or Christian Ponder, they were about something similar. terrible. Like like it, it was that bad, right? So no one thought that that was going to happen. So that's why I wasn't as in on Jalen Hurts um, because you know with quarterback you can you're only playing one. A team's only playing one, so it's not like there's a lot of chances for some backup guys. So I wasn't big on him. Also, I always trade away my second round picks because people value them much higher than I do. And also, I'd rather get, you know, veteran production that I'm going to have for two or three years rather than a second round pick. Normally, that's a pretty good bet. Um, but, you know, some guys like Jalen Hurts kind of stick out. You really feel sad that you're the guy that trades all your picks every year. Yeah.
3: Yeah. When you miss somebody that, that just hits as, as well and surprisingly so. Uh, as, as Jalen Hurts has just in the past couple weeks. Definitely uh, getting into the mix a lot earlier than I think some people had him pegged for. Because, I mean, like, like you said, the, the cap hit and the dead cap that still remains on Carson Wentz's contract. Like, there's not really an easy out until 2022 still. So it, it's interesting to me that uh, they're in a, a weird spot. So, they, I mean, they could trade him, but I'm not sure what you could get for him right now, especially when he's... You know, it's, it's a good chunk of change, but it's not like Carson Wentz is dead either. I think he just got the yips. You know, he's just overthinking things, lots of pressure, and Philly isn't exactly the most forgiving uh, sports town historically, so had a lot of pressure uh, on his shoulders. So hopefully, you know, I, I do hope he does get traded so he gets a better opportunity and, and, and Hurts maintains his incredible opportunity given what he has been doing uh in the past couple weeks so hopefully that continues uh, because his mobility just makes him a whole lot of fun he has that potential to blow up you know maybe not like uh Lamar Jackson because I don't think he's that fast (laughs) but somebody close uh, to that range just because of the uh, dual threat nature and what we you know we just love that in fantasy football but uh back to tonight's Topic. I want to dive into production metrics in college. There are certain production metrics that mean something for quarterbacks, uh, but as, as far as really being predictive and showing real statistical, uh, I guess, proven meaning, there are less metrics for quarterback, there are less metrics for running back, and there are less metrics for tight end than there are. With wide receiver, so really want to dig in with wide receiver. Uh, going to talk about some of the most popular terms in production metrics and analytics that we like to use in, in fantasy football, uh, and so you'll hear us talk about dominator, market share, yards per team, pass attempt, you know, things like that. Want to dive into that. We've talked about it before on a couple other episodes in the past, but want, want to make those terms less scary, I guess. So, Jarek, your database. I mean, what what inspired you to kind of put this together? Because it's I mean, it's thousands and thousands of players uh, across all of college football, all of conferences. Like, What made you decide to put this together uh, this year?
2: Yeah, so this summer I joined my very first Debbie League. I'd previously told myself I wasn't because I would spend way too much time researching the players and diving (laughs) into it. And I went ahead and and, and dove in this summer and I I found there's a shocking lack of advanced statistics out there just publicly available. I'd have to calculate them all for each player myself by hand if I wanted to find them out. Yeah. So at the time I was learning how to code with R and I, f- I felt like it was a good project to take on to aggregate all these players metrics into one spreadsheet so I can do the look at the advanced statistics, the basic statistics and the advanced statistics all in one place. And so after a couple months of Coding that work, I created the database, and now it's housed on my Patreon. And anybody, it's publicly available. Each week, I update it with the new stats.
3: That's awesome. And, and I remember when I when I saw it at first, you posted it, and I was like, "Man, there's like a column for every single possibly meaningful statistic that you could have." And and it's funny, like you, like you said, you can you can get lost just uh, studying prospects, but. I enjoy it. I enjoy digging into what makes prospects work. I mean, that's part of what this podcast is all about, just the journey from a college football recruit and and just becoming the next level and the the next best uh, NFL prospect. So, really looking forward to diving into, into this and, and looking forward to Kane's questions because I I think Kane I mean we, you and I have talked about the meaning of production metrics and uh, how we build that into our process and we disagree we, we disagree on some things and so hopefully we can uh, you know teach each other something tonight <laughs> but Kane uh, with with production metrics what's one thing uh, in production metrics or people that you know talk about them meaning something that you always find yourself asking one question you have when it comes to production scores of some kind and that translating to the pros.
1: Um, well, I think the the biggest issue that I have right with with production metrics is that it's missing context and right and you and I have had this conversation a lot right. It's like how can we how can you actually use those metrics to provide context? Yeah, and sometimes you can, sometimes you really can't. Right, like without knowing, like oh, this guy was facing like their eighth cornerback on the team, like without actually going into the film and diving in and like knowing the situation behind the game, that's the only way that you're going to know about some of those things. Right. And then the thought is like, how can you wait some of those metrics to actually show a viable outlook rather than like, Oh yeah, he, he beat up on this team. That means he's really good. It's like, well, he beat up on a really, really bad player. Like right. that that doesn't actually like mean that he's going to be successful in the NFL.
3: Absolutely. And so I think that's that's interesting because there are so many narratives that, that go on when it comes to assessing players and saying, well, it was against this team or it was against that team. And I think it's funny where as they do leave out that context that can be helpful in understanding it, part of, and correct me if I'm wrong in how you approach this, Jarek, is part of it is I want to take my pre-existing biases out of it. I want to look at the numbers and just find an objective truth or some objective measure just across the board. There's a story to be told in terms of large scale data, like large sample sizes and analyzing those and saying, well, what percent of variance can be explained in a player's hit rate based on this number? And so I think you can learn a non contextualized story, which is frustrating for those that really appreciate the nuances of film analysis, all the context involved. So I totally understand that came, But like, how would you answer the question that Kane has, like, when it comes to the the, the context or the lack thereof with numbers, Jarek.
2: Yeah, I think. I mean, it's always a good question asked all the time, and I think a big thing is trying to, like, like you said, just trying to increase your hit rate. We may not take every single little fine detail into account, um, but it, but over a large sample size, it should be reflected in in the pr- predictivity. Of each metric. So if you're able to find metrics that are more predictive, the outputs of those metrics should potentially take those fine details into account, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're always trying to find an edge, right? So like, whereas Kane, like with with your angle, a lot of hobbyists that that like playing fantasy football are into this, but they might not know all the context that you do. And so there's an edge in you understanding, you know, who, you know, Elijah Moore really, beat this year or who you know like what his role was asking him to do this year that made him blow up in the way that he did and so there's there's all things that you can kind of fill in the blanks with the with the context but then at the same time like historically well what what does elijah moore's peak season mean uh, statistically and like what what percentage chances he have historically uh to hit based on what he did this year and mixed in with how early he broke out so it's just i feel like it can all work together uh but it's all just about increasing the hit rate. It's all about getting better at uh, player analysis. It's always I'm just always looking for an edge. So if I can get 5% better just based on using analytics, I'm going to do it. If I can get 5% better doing what you do, Kane, digging into the film side and understanding the context of why and how and where and when <laughs> a player beats somebody, uh, I want to do that. So I think there's value in both, but I want to dive into some players that, that are going to be draft eligible this year for 2021 and some players that are going to be draft eligible here soon. Some of the best players in college football already breaking out, checking some boxes production-wise, and some that are that are falling short in that regard. And and I think one name that everybody has been going off about this year just because of what he's been doing and going off on the field uh, and just really rising up draft boards, Devontae Smith of Alabama. If there was ever going to be a wide receiver that was going to win the Heisman, I feel like it would be Devontae Smith and his effort this year i mean heading into this year looking at my adjusted production index score which combines dominator rating which is essentially uh your percentage of teams receiving yards and receiving touchdowns yards per team pass attempt, and touchdowns per team pass attempt when you mix those three together he had a 70th percentile production profile Devonte smith did coming into this year and now it's actually going to be over 90th percentile Thanks to accounting for, you know, almost half of Alabama's receiving offense this year and having like 4.3 yards per team pass, attuned, which is, by the way, like 99th percentile among NFL prospects since 2005. He, he's absolutely blown up. And so for me, kind of a no brainer, but Kane first... With you, I mean, are you on team Devontae Smith, like wide receiver two or better? Like, where are you at with him?
1: Um, So I don't really do a whole lot of rankings. I prefer to do them in tiers. And he's a very, he's a high tier one guy for me, right? Like, this is a guy that's checking in all the boxes and like some crazy context that we might want to sprinkle on in this one is only 10% of his touches come in the fourth quarter, right? So you're now having a guy that's having less production in the fourth quarter, mainly because, right, we know Alabama's blowing out teams. Right. So what would that production profile even look like if he's getting more touches in the fourth quarter? Yeah. Right? If he <laughs> didn't if actually have to do anything. <laughs> metrics for you guys. Right. So it's like, how, how else can you say that he's not good? Right. Like, he's very, very good. Yeah. He's good at everything.
3: Yeah. And so, I mean, just from a film standpoint, are you I, I just don't know what people would say. Like, I mean, I hear the arguments that, OK, well, he's too skinny. Or, or something like that, I guess. But I mean, he's a guy that had top tier pedigree as a recruit coming out. Was out producing Jerry Judy and uh, Henry Ruggs last year, and and now he's just absolutely looks like the best wide receiver in the country, just from a film standpoint, beating anyone and everyone through the route tree. Uh, so I don't know. I, from a film standpoint, I don't, I don't think there's anything to say that. Uh, I mean, he's my wide receiver too. It's really hard to knock him at all. But from a production standpoint, Jarek, even before this year. Uh, were you really high on Devontae Smith and what he had already done?
2: Um, he started to—I mean, in his third year, he started to come on and like his reception yards per team pass attempt over the three mark, which is which is pretty dang efficient. But he he didn't hit the the dominator rating that I'm looking for with the point three or thirty percent of the team's yards and TDs percentage. So he was kind of on the edge for me in year three, I'd say, and I mean. Year four production, I heavily discount it because they're so much older than their peers. And well, they're older than their peers. And it's being a fourth year wide receiver. It's not as you don't have a higher as high of a hit rate when you're you going into the NFL from that.
3: Yeah. And year. that sounds like and what you're saying that you, listeners, if you, if you haven't listened to many people, that talk about production metrics and, and hit rates for, you know, based on age specifically. I mean, just practically, I mean, as a, as an independent argument, it sounds weird to say, well, he's a fourth-year player, so he, I'm just not as interested. And that's not necessarily, I don't even think that's what, Jarek, you're saying. It's just that hit rate-wise, we see players that are good enough leave early. And so they are 21 when they enter the league. And so just by default, practically speaking, they're going to have a higher hit rate because they were good enough to come out and leave college after three years. So just practically speaking, it makes sense for that to be the case. And so... I don't think that Devontae Smith is necessarily a worse prospect because he is a final year. But what Jarek said is true in that, you know, a 22-year-old senior just dunking on freshmen and sophomores, like, that should be easy. Like, he is a year further along. Like, it should not be any more impressive. In fact, less impressive than what he was doing a year ago. But because he is, again, just dominating, it is intriguing. Uh, and there's an argument to be had for what peak numbers mean, uh, but they... um mean less than a player doing it at a younger age as basically uh, that that's where the, the analytics community is. If yeah. I understand what you're saying, Jared, yeah.
2: I can get an over, give you an overview of the, the hit rates that I'm looking at, I guess. Sure. Um, if a player is, is a true freshman breakout or they have a, th- if they're a three year college player who broke out their hit rate in the first round is 73%. Yeah. Is very high. If they're not in that group, they're a hit rate of 22%. So if they
3: didn't have a true freshman breakout and they didn't, you know, leave early, then yeah. the, the the hit rate drops by fifty percent. Is what you are saying? <laughs> yeah, and so it's that kind of thing that you are looking for historic precedent. And and so I mean, does that make sense? I mean. I can't ask the audience. So Kane, like how would you interpret that? And would you take that information and do anything with that?
1: Yeah. So like, if I, if I believe what y'all were saying, right? Like the thing that I would do is, is how does that affect value? So like if, if you ever listen to the Debbie marketplace podcast, all we care about is value. We don't care about people's names or who they are Right. within we the scope of
3: fantasy them. football, like being able to trade them and have them having them on your yeah. fantasy football roster.
1: Yeah. So that's all we care about. Right. So if, if, I'm, I'm believing what you're saying, right? Then I would still be fine drafting him because then I'm able to trade him to someone that, that does value him at the spot that he's being drafted, right? And I think that's, that's the biggest way to exploit things like this is if you know just a little bit more than someone else, that's when you try to trade and make up that value, right? And try to get more value than what you believe someone's worth, yeah. um, which is always the best way to basically win a trade in your eyes.
3: Absolutely. And before we move on to other players and just kind of break that, you know, get to a player we definitely disagree on, perhaps. When you say true freshman breakout, what what threshold for dominator rating or, you know, percentage of a team's passing offense do you use for uh, breakouts? Because a lot of people use different thresholds to, to quantify that.
2: Yep. So we're using 30 percent dominator rating. Yeah. Which is. 50% of the reception yard share, 50% of the TD share.
3: Yeah, and it weighted that way. So it's like, basically, if, if a player has 25% of a team's receiving yards, but they have 35% of the team's receiving touchdowns, that would average out to be a 30% dominator rating. So simply put, sounds fancy. We talk about market share. We talk about talk about breakouts. Super simple math to figure out what a player's dominator rating is, and like you said, prior to last year, tra- De- Devontae Smith was at twenty eight percent. But what, what were we saying, Kane?
1: But but doesn't that skew? Doesn't that make touchdown skew that whole metric?
3: Sure. So and that was just one example. But like, let's say it was the other way around. If it was thirty five percent receiving yards and twenty five percent touchdowns, that would still be equal to a 30% dominator rating. Does that make sense?
1: Right, but I'm saying, what if, let's say this is a guy that's just scoring touchdowns, right, and he's utilized in the red zone a lot, so he's not going to have sure. a lot of of yardage, but he's having a lot of touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that skew dominator rating a little higher for a player that isn't actually getting the true production yeah, on the field and it, doing it in the red zone?
3: That's a great question. Uh, absolutely. And actually, Jerk, I'll let you uh, answer how, how you would I, I've got an answer and what I would say, but I, I'm curious what you would say there.
2: Yeah, that's so. That's one of the reasons that I'm not super excited about Dominator rating the 50 50 split. You know, it does weigh TDs a little bit too much for me. I actually came across an article from Anthony Amico.
3: Yeah, former Rotovays guy, actually. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it was last year. He came out with a new metric, which was weighted Dominator, which is 20% TD. Share eighty percent mar- yards market share, and actually that's what I'm using mostly in my database as uh, breakouts.
3: And actually, when I believe based on his research, I'm familiar with that as well. But when you it, when you weight it to where it's eighty percent weighted to receiving yards versus twenty percent touchdowns, that actually has a higher R squared value, I believe, in terms of predicting future NFL hit rates than just the simple Dominator rating. But the original Dominator rating, that's that's how kind of it, it came into effect. And so I still. use use that in terms of when I'm talking about a a, a dominator rating because it's easier to calculate. Like you said at the very beginning, Jarek, it takes forever unless somebody has a database just lying around. It takes forever to calculate. So it's a lot easier for me to talk about a percentage and someone be able to double check what I'm talking about when I'm just doing the 50-50 split. But I think that's a completely valid argument because, Kane, yeah, like we understand that these metrics aren't supposed to be like a one-to-one ranking system. Like, let's say like a super touchdown heavy guy like Terrace Marshall, I wouldn't be necessarily as, as interested in him as I would somebody with a similar dom- dominator rating. If the, what that other player is doing is more yards based than Terrace Marshall. So, I get the argument there. Just practically speaking, if somebody's got a super heavy touchdown percentage, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have a, a higher hit rate. But that, that is a very common question, I think, when it comes to production profiles. But it, it, again, it's not, a ra- it's not about a ranking system. It's, it's about hitting a threshold, finding players that hit that 30% threshold. Because if, if I'm looking at a player with a 35% dominator rating versus a 42% dominator rating, how, the, how those players got there probably looks way different and their level of competition was probably way different. So that, given that context that you were talking about before, Kane, there's going to be some differences. But as long as those players break the threshold that we use to kind of historically differentiate players, they're just checking another box for me. So I'm not necessarily ranking that 42% Dominator guy over a 35% Dominator guy, if that helps answer that question. But uh, that, that, I'm glad you brought that up, Kane. But moving on to another guy, Jalen Waddle, same team, but... Depending on how you calculate his numbers, uh, his production profile looks a little bit more incomplete than Devontae Smith. So are you guys both high on Jalen Waddle or
1: or no? He is at the bottom of the first tier for me and it will probably drop.
3: Okay, that's intriguing. Are you a Jalen Waddle guy or was his production profile just not where it needs to be for you?
2: He is kind of the bottom of the second tier for me, actually. It's just there's a lot of inferring you have to do with his profile because... He played such limited snaps this year that I don't know. It's hard to feel confident raking him so highly. Yeah, when so there's I- a lot of other good players on the board too.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And Kane, I'm I'm surprised. I actually thought you would be a little bit higher. I know a lot of primarily film based analysts are super high on Jalen Waddle because of his versatility. I mean, his, his explosiveness, his speed. Uh, what is it about Jalen Waddle for you from a film standpoint that has you at the bottom of tier one for you? Whereas I think in the NFL draft, some people are talking about him being a you know top 15 pick in the NFL draft. so what is it for you that stands out that he's not quite there?
1: Yeah, so I think I think the biggest thing right is that he isn't he is versatile he's limited in that same thread, right like he's he's a guy yet yeah, he can totally take a screen 80 yards and he can outrun a DB and a safety play a bracket on a 50 yard go route right but that doesn't mean he's not limited in other areas of his game right Jalen Waddle's not a guy that you're gonna want to throw the ball to on fourth and two when you just need a slant to pick up the first down right like that's not Jalen Waddle and he's not a guy that you're gonna expect to run a 15-yard dig route over the over the middle of the field like that's just not his game Um, so I think he's limited in that thread and I think a lot of it's gonna be needing to have two things, right? For him to find true success in the NFL, especially by a fantasy football perspective. One is a quarterback with a good arm. And I'm not just talking about a strong arm, but good accuracy down the field, right? If he goes to a team that has a Philip Rivers-esque quarterback, right? Like a Kirk Cousins, someone that doesn't have true accuracy down the field, like he's not going to be successful because he's not the most successful high point ball catcher because he's not... The biggest, right? When you're going against NFL corners that are six one, six two, like you're probably not gonna win that matchup. He's he's not the biggest guy on the field. And then second is you need a good offensive coordinator or a good wide receivers coach that can allow him to develop in areas that he's weak at. And I think a lot of people will just try to put him into their system and just expect him to do everything. <laughs> that they that their system asks them to do, right? It's the exact same reason why a lot of people were low on DK Metcalf, right? Like dK Metcalf has has a very specific set of skills. And the Seahawks are using just those skills. Like when you start asking him to do other things, that's where you're going to find deficiencies in his game. And I think it's similar with, with Jalen Waddle in that regard.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting you bring those, all those things are things I would have said from a a film standpoint too, but people love the hype. They love that. You know, they watch Alabama games. They see him break off a huge kick return. They they see him break a huge long touchdown and, and a perfect system. Uh, facing off, you know, against guys that will never play on Sundays, and uh, you know, so it's all good points there from a film standpoint. But by the numbers you mentioned, Jalen Waddell's small sample this year, mixed with a wonky and less than impressive uh, production, I guess, breakout and everything before, is at least questionable, Jarek. So, what about it with you? Has Jalen a little bit lower than maybe the real NFL and analysts have him?
2: Even before this year, he never even hit a 20% dominated rating or over two reception reception yards per team pass attempt is the threshold that I use. And he hasn't hit that in any of his years. And generally, that stat helps it. It doesn't hurt you if there's a lot of competition on your team. Like the weighted dominator, if if there's other really good uh, players on your team, they're going to take that target share from you. They're going to take that yards share from you. Um, reception yards per team pass attempt is less weighted on or or less hindered by good competition on your team. Right, you can still hit those thresholds. Right, because like that's even, like an
3: it's like an efficiency metric in and of itself. You
1: know, right? Like,
3: right. Yeah.
2: even Devonta Smith hit three reception yard per team pass attempt last year
1: which is really good
2: bottle yeah well, it's
1: really good devonta smith was the best wide receiver on that team last year
3: yeah and even though he didn't hit that 30 percent uh that we like to see in the dominator he had like what i can't remember off the top of my head but it's like i think three yards per team pass attempt as far as like real drafted nfl wide receivers go like that's what like 80th percentile or so like that's really good okay. so i mean it's it's way up there so he had a good season despite not checking every box but I think that's that's what's fun about production metrics for me, Jarek, Is you can hit in different ways, and and if if you check all the single box, like every single box, it's amazing. But if you hit two or three or four, it allows me to kind of create a better ranking system in my head. You know, this most important metric, Devonte Smith hit. The second most important metric, he missed on just barely. Okay, I can start. I can justify that more so. So in, kind of in a, in the same way, Kane. You were talking about all the, the details with the route running with Jalen Waddle, Jay his usage, uh, the importance of scheme and things like that. In the same way, there are different types of metrics that we can use to kind of build a ranking system, even though not, there's not even one that we use to rank within within that one metric. Like It's just basically, if there are five variables and they hit all five, that player is going to be valued higher for me than a player that misses on two of those, essentially. I mean, I don't know if you do so, like, something similar in your analysis, Jarek, but... It helps me to kind of break things out and kind of look at all of the check boxes and see okay what what are they truly missing in their profile historically? Um, but for me, I mean, like it is weird because Jalen Waddell, like this year he only played in four games, uh, five games actually, but just left the fifth one early. So depending on, depending on how you calculate it, it gets weird. But if you, but if you only count from the four games he played, his numbers this year actually do look good. Like his per game yeah. dominator rating in those four games, four full games he was healthy. Like if you squint at his production profile this year, uh he got like up to 30, you know, he was accounting for 36% of Alabama's offense. He had like 139 yards per game and never caught less than five receptions in full games. And his yards per team pass attempt numbers ended up in the 99th percentile. It was over four. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but he was he was going crazy. So had he continued on that stretch and been alongside Devontae Smith in the season where they were going to the college football playoff, I feel like the hype would have gotten somewhere just stupid. And maybe yeah. from a film standpoint, Kane, he would have gotten there. Maybe we would have seen more examples of him doing the things that we haven't just yet. We don't always get a perfect production profile. So for the guys that we don't, we have to turn to the film guys. We have to turn to the capital. But moving on to other players, uh, I want to get to somebody that we disagree on, or at least you guys do. I was surprised you guys agreed on Um Amon Ross St. Brown uh, not being good, apparently. But uh, Seth Williams, I want to hear the argument for Seth Williams from a production standpoint. And then, Kane, I I want you to tell Jarek why he's wrong, okay? Easy. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, Jarek.
2: So Seth Williams, he broke out in his second year. His first year, he still did decent, almost got to the 20% dominator rating threshold. And then for year two and year three, he's been over 30% threshold, which is the breakout. And he's been over two reception yards per team pass attempt in his second and third year. And he's declaring early. So he has been checking all of the boxes. Now, I just need that to translate into draft capital as well. But <laughs> that'll if, be the trick. Even if he... Even yeah. if he's drafted in the top 100, he still is in a, a tier which is a 63 percent hit rate.
3: Yeah, so he doesn't have to you know he doesn't have to be a top 15 pick. Doesn't have to be a first round pick. If he right. is in you know even just anywhere day two, essentially the last pick on day two, he's he's sitting in a good historic bin of players to have a good a decent hit rate. All right, Sturkane, so you said it would be easy. Let's hear it. Why is <laughs> why is Jerick wrong about Seth Williams?
1: Uh, he's slow. He's a poor separator, and he does that all with a very minimal route tree that doesn't look good for for wide receiver.
3: Sure. So when you watch this game, what where does he su- where does he succeed? Like, I mean, if it is a lot of those guys that have like the three or four routes they go to, I mean, like Avad DK Metcalf. I mean, he basically had two routes he went to. Like, so where does Seth Williams win? At, when, and you see him winning in college.
1: Um, yeah, he usually wins a little deeper down the field where he's able to use his size to catch passes, right? That you, you obviously watch a whole lot more Auburn games than I do. Right. But like, that's, that's the, one of the main areas that he does succeed, right. Is when he's able to use his size to succeed. But there's a lot of times where you can't always just use your size. And, and it's an issue when you're, you're much bigger than, you know, a cornerback and you're not winning consistently. Sure. Um, when, that's reliant on size to separate he's not a guy like Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith where you're going to see him clearly five yards of separation deep down the field right like we we see that so many times with Devonta Smith so they're just going to keep doing it right because he's getting five yards of separation and even you know loose armed Mac Jones can just toss it up and he's going to be able to catch it right but with with Seth Williams and especially when you have an inaccurate Bo Nix a guy that wins with size needs a precision passer for one because he's not that great of a separator. He's not a guy that can get clear separation. Um, he it has to be pinpointed or else he's not going to catch the ball. Is okay. he more uh, link spot specific for you then? Part of it. I also just don't think his draft capital is going to be that good because he's because there's so many players that are similar to him in that regard, right? Um, you have Tamarian Terry who has similar size, but he's much faster. You have Terrace Marshall, Chris Olave are kind of in that same kind of tier that that do things relatively well in the same regard, um, but are just much faster and much better separators. And I think it's clear that the NFL, right, if we look back at at past Hakeem Bustlers, that, that they they make get a point that they want people that can separate well. And, and Seth Williams just doesn't really do that.
3: It's interesting that you, you say he's slow because he actually, even in high school, ran about a four or five, which at his size is kind of crazy. And so I mean, it's...
1: And have him separate on the field. Like, why is he not doing that?
3: That's a, that's a great question. See, for me, I, I see him sub- separate. I see the Bo Nix underthrown by like seven yards. And then he has to come back and tackle somebody <laughs> to avoid uh, an interception. But I do see the route, um, lack of route, vers- versatility and, you know, real reps in any way that is asking him to do, you know, what he's probably going to be asked to do uh, on Sundays. And that's mainly because of the scheme that Gus Malzahn runs. It's very simplistic. Uh, lots of sideways. I don't Gus know why Mal- they do it.
1: Gus Malzahn is one of the worst offensive coaches in college football. Like yeah. his offense playbook was absolutely and It didn't help. Bo Nix or Seth Williams. Um, It helped Anthony Schwartz, but that's just because he's really fast, Uh, but he didn't have the people to fit into that system.
3: Yeah. For me, I like Seth Williams because I think he's going to get the draft capital. I think he's probably going to be around three wide receiver. Uh, There's going to be a lot of wide receivers this year that go inside the uh, top 100 picks and so he's probably going to check a lot of boxes analytically speaking something that might come off as a hot take but I've heard you talk about it I think that you're not alone in this Anthony Schwartz to you is going to get drafted earlier than Seth Williams is that right
1: yeah I I think everyone knows that speed kills in the NFL and if Mikkel Hardman can have terrible production profile and and terrible film and still get drafted in the second round because speed is that important. Well, then Anthony Schwartz with the production he has should be a first round pick if we're using the Mikael Hardman approach, right? Like Anthony Schwartz is a guy that actually does have better production than Mikael Hardman could have ever sniffed in college. And then you also have the speed where let's be real, he's running sub four three. Like yeah, I mean
3: he's an he's an Olympic sprinter. Like uh, no exaggeration. Like he's on the U.S. men's one by four team. Like he was supposed to run this year. So he, he's. He's got ridiculous. He's going to be sub-4-4 at the very least. And those guys get drafted, period. Like 22 out of the last 23 wide receivers to run sub-4-4 got drafted. And I think 17 of the last 23 got at least day two draft capital. So really strong chance that he's going to get day two draft capital. I'm not there yet putting him over Seth Williams. Uh, But where do you have Anthony Schwartz's production profile? And and what do you think of Anthony Schwartz, Jarek?
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting if he can get the I mean, it sounds like he's going to get the top 100 draft capital. He hasn't, even though he's looked good this year, he still hasn't produced as well as Seth Williams has, which is a little bit of a red flag being in the same offense. I guess I wouldn't say red flag. But ranking him above Seth Williams gives me pause because even even this year, Seth Williams has outproduced him in the efficiency metrics.
3: Yeah, it, it has been weird just to see it because I thought both of them would go off, especially with the new offensive coordinator that likes a funnel offense, but it hasn't gone that way. So those two guys, I think they both sneak inside day two, um, which is weird to have two, guy, two guys on that inefficient of an offense uh, find a way to day two. But I think it's possible. But uh, before we go down the back half, talk about a, a couple more 2021 guys and then talk about a few future playmakers to get excited about that are already producing in year one and year two of their college football careers. Just a word from our sponsors. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria, and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore's total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast try indeed out with the free 75 dollars credit at indeed.com bluewire blue wire this is the best offer available anywhere so go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through december 31 terms and conditions apply so football's been back for a while and in full swing and you might not be at a game this year i myself have missed out on some of the fun in person but the great news is that you can still be in on the action it's not too late to get in on the action right now at bet online BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spread and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. So head over to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying this production special, talking about some production metrics and and then also the film side and kind of how it all fits together and how we look at college football prospects and making it to the next level, especially at the wide receiver position, since it's what we can do the best job of in terms of predicting via production metrics. So back to another guy I think that you guys might disagree on, already talked about Seth Williams, but uh, Diami Brown, uh, somebody that I really like Quite a bit he's been coming up past couple years had a really efficient season last year had over a thousand yards like tw- like 20 yards per reception even in his toughest spots finding ways to produce uh, and this year again looking like a complete alpha having you know a, a three touchdown game earlier this year just amazing production he did struggle a little bit with drops uh last year doesn't does does look like he's cleaned that up some this year so let Jarrett go first last time on seth williams for you, Kane, I, I'm sure you may still like him, but it sounds like you guys probably have Diami Brown about two tiers apart uh, in where you have him ranked. So, Diami Brown, what do you like about Diami Brown and what gives you pause, Kane, that has you ranking him a little bit lower than some of us production nerds?
1: Yeah, so I think part of it is the same thing that we talked about with Seth Williams, right? He's just in a group of players that all have similar skill sets. And he does very little to kind of distinguish himself. So I think the, the biggest thing, right, is because I know what Jarek's gonna say, right? We his production is right. It's it's not something that, that we can really argue, but I think the biggest thing is to look at like where did that production come? And I think I think that's that's a big thing, right? It's to add the context. To to what the numbers actually say. And, and if we look at it right, his his biggest games, obviously, the, the three touchdown game that that Travis mentioned was against Virginia, where Virginia has a very bad defense where he put up 11 for 240 and three touchdowns and looked very, very good. Right. We're not trying to take any of that away from him. But then we go to a game like Notre Dame where um, where the defense was much better. Right. I don't think anyone's ever going to argue that Notre Dame's defense is just better than Virginia's. That's pretty clear. Um, But he only goes four for 84 yards, doesn't even get a touchdown either. And I think a lot, part of that has to do, right, with obviously the defense, but um, a little bit of that has to do with. The running game as well and the, the running game was actually relevant for him for for a diami brown and i think the other thing that we need to look at right is, is where is that production coming and is that production actually coming in the red zone and is he actually efficient in the red zone right so jarek's jarek's gonna say that um you know his <laughs> it's that 30 percent rating right he had 85 targets had over 1100 yards had eight touchdowns which does add up to the 30 percent dominator rating but the issue is right so out of the 85 targets he only had 13 of them in the red zone which actually comes out to a six percent target share in the red zone which is not good for a guy that's actually a bigger bodied guy that you would expect to win in those situations and so not only that it's just 13 coming in the red zone is he's actually only catching the ball in just over 50% of those situations. So it, it's clear that as the defense kind of gets tighter, he's actually less useful to a team. Um, so I think that's another thing that we just have to look at in the grand scheme of these stats, Jarek.
3: All right. Oh, yeah, let's, let's, let's hear the other side. And now that we've heard half of it, because Kane is like, this is what Jarek's going to say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now you make some, yeah, good points. I mean, we expect the best players are going to beat up against the worst teams. And I'm sure when Devonta Smith put up his over three reception yards per team pass attempt season last year, he was beaten up on some inferior teams as well. I can't say that for a fact, but I'm going to assume that he racked up some points against them. But Diami Brown is actually outproducing what Devonta Smith put up last year. And I'm not as concerned about the red zone I guess because if you get more yards your likelihood of getting touchdowns greatly increases. I'm I'm not looking for a red zone specialist. I'm looking for someone who can put up yards and eventually touchdowns will regress to the mean by getting those yards.
3: Yeah, and I like that argument too. I like both sides because there's context within each within each because of the reasons behind what you're looking for. Like like you said statistically speaking We can't always, Jarek. Basically, what you said is we can't predict touchdowns, but if guys are getting a bunch of targets or getting a bunch of yards, no matter where they're getting it, their percentage chance of getting a touchdown and having a better outcome is better. I mean, like, we we understand that on the NFL side of things, too. And then, like, when we are looking to build projection models, even for like NFL DFS, like, that's what we would do. We wouldn't necessarily use, we we would weight the red zone production, but we wouldn't necessarily say that that is. in and of itself what makes him as a player, but I do like what you're saying about, about Diami and where his production came, because it's funny, it's like he, he just lights up Virginia because he actually, I'm pretty sure he actually had over 200 yards uh, in 2019 against Virginia too Kane, so it's it's funny, but He's blown up a couple times against that team specifically, but every single game for the most part, he's been the go-to target all, all of his games last year, except for one, he had at least three catches uh, again this year had two games, one against Western Carolina. He didn't have to do anything Duke again. He didn't have to do anything, but every other game, he had at least three catches. Uh, just a dominant performer. He actually had over thirty percent dominator last year, and had a, a, he like that threshold you use for yards per team pass attempt, Jarek. He had two point six yards per team pass attempt last year. He was already coming in for for my. I've mentioned this before, and you'll you'll see it in my writing if you follow my stuff on RotoViz. But the adjusted production index that combines dominator yards per team pass attempt and touchdowns per team pass attempt. He was already around the sixtieth percentile. Which, if a player gets day two draft capital and 60th percentile, uh, they have almost a double chance at hitting uh, when you look at the adjusted production index overall. So, numbers wise, Diami Brown looks great. Questions about drops, questions about his usage, I think, from Kane and from Film. The film take guys and so those are super valid i think but uh, at the same time h- looking at historical precedent i think he's got enough to get him to day two draft capital and obviously not everybody can get day two draft capital but if he did uh, for you would that change your ranking can at all just based on what we know about hit rates and draft capital
1: no because i expect everyone ranked above him to also get that same draft capital
3: okay so he's okay so it doesn't sound like he's super low for you then it, 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 is he like why receiver? he
1: at wide receiver 11.
3: Okay, so that's not super low then for you. Jarek, where do you, so you have him ranked right now? He's just been
1: beat out by Tylen Wallace in my rankings.
3: That's still respectable then.
1: I have him at wide
2: receiver five right
3: now. Nice. That that's probably the highest I've seen yeah. anybody. So that's that's fun. We should probably come back in, in draft. Um, Derek I'm going to have you back on in draft season, like maybe after the combine or something. We'll we'll talk more about Diami Brown. But I'm Ross Saint Brown. Want to talk about him before we talk about a couple, you know, names for the future, just to put in your pocket. But I'm Ross Saint Brown is a guy. He was high pedigree. Like either everybody's. You know, wide receiver one or wide receiver two coming into college as a true freshman, has a brother in the NFL on the Packers, you know, has a lot of you know pedigree things going for him. Uh, but you know, played at a blue blood high school, you know, produced like crazy there. But he didn't really produce uh he produced raw numbers, I guess, last year, but didn't meet all the thresholds we like to see for production profiles. But I'm also surprised, Kane, that you weren't super high on Amon Ra either. So from a film standpoint, before we dive into the numbers, what has you questioning whether Amon Ra St Brown, given all the hype that he has had since he was like age 16, uh, what, what what gives you pause in predicting future NFL success for him?
1: Yeah, so a, a little bit of it comes from the type of wide receiver that he is, right? Um, so he's actually the guy that that plays a lot in this slot, and big slot guys don't usually get incredible draft capital for one, right? Um, they're not usually the guys that are being drafted on day two. That's just not really how it is. And and the second thing is, a p- some people think that he's a really good separator, and he's just not. The uh, game, what, a couple weeks ago, where he had four touchdowns, and that everyone was raving about how he had four touchdowns. Well, let's, let's just take a quick look at that. One was an incredible catch right off of a fade. A very, very nice play. One was... Off of a jet sweep, that's technically called a pass. That's <laughs> technically you get on the backfield, right? Um, and if you want to praise his slant, dude's at the two yard line, and the cornerback's standing in the end zone on a slant. So, what do you think is going to happen, right? He's going to get a clean break. The cornerback's never going to touch him. So, like, it's not that he's an incredibly good separator. Like, they're just putting him in positions to be successful against weak defenses. Like, there's not a lot of strong defenses in the Pac-12, and that's who he's beating up on. Oregon defense is okay, and the Washington defense is above average. Like, other than that, like, there's not a lot of screaming good defenses in the (laughs) Pac-12. And so when you're just—it's the same argument that we see for the Big 12, right? Um, If you're just repeatedly beating up on bad opponents, well, the thought is you should— Right. Like that. That's the answer is like you should be beating up on them. But the issue is, is he's actually not incredibly separating himself from his teammates as being like the best player on the team. So, like, if you can't even be the clear best player on your team um, with a good quarterback, then how are you going to do that in the NFL? So like the idea that he's going to be like, you know, this top six, seven wide receiver in fantasy football is just asinine because there's no way that he can do it if he can't even do it in college. You know, it's funny. He's going to be with better opponents that actually will press him and stop him from actually going down the field. Like ain't going to happen.
3: Yeah. You know, it's funny what you're saying is the exact base principle for most production metrics, like if he's not even the best guy on his team, how is he going to do that like in, in the NFL if he can't do it now? And like that's that's where the idea and, and,
1: yeah, and you can see that on film, right? Because if you're looking at the film and looking at the full game, you can actually see who's better than the other person. Right. That's yeah. the reason why film guys don't just watch highlights. Yeah, because that doesn't actually help you.
3: Yep, exactly. And I think we can get carried away with. Uh, the, and I think that's why when when you marry the, the, the film aspect of things, like you were saying, with the numbers that also verify what we're seeing. Ra St. Brown is a player that we just agree on because both sides say the same thing. So, Jarek, for you, wh- like, how badly is, does Am- Ra St. Brown miss what he needs to just to hit from a hi- historical production standpoint?
2: Yeah, so he is a decent amount below the 30% threshold that I'm looking for. And looking at his his entire college career, it looked he was off to a hot, hot start. His freshman year, it looked like he was going to be a superstar from the way he was playing. And then he literally plateaued from his yeah. freshman year on. It's like his metrics stayed almost exactly the same through his four years. So he never really took over that offense. It sounds like he should have, I mean, being a five-star recruit. He really should have easily hit the 30 percent threshold this year if he was if he was good.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And and seriously, uh, with my adjusted production index that combines three production variables, like even, even if he gets day two capital, like the difference between even if he just hits, you know, one of the three thresholds that we like to see, like with dominator rating or something like that and gets up to maybe the 50th percentile or something, his hit rate historically would double. But instead, because it's still hovering around like the 20th percentile, like he's in a range of wide receivers that it looks like he's just a no, like it's just not going to happen type range. And when you mix that with the film side that you're saying, Kane, I hesitate to rank him that highly. So I have been dropping him down my board. I'm probably going to drop him even further after this conversation. But uh, really, it's just it's funny. You can learn a lot from both sides. But when they say the same thing, then you know you probably need to drop him down, even though there has been some hype around him, even, even though he plays for a Blue Blood program and he was he was a big name coming out as a recruit. It doesn't really matter if you can't produce and you're not even the best wide receiver on your team. Speaking of which, I want to transition to a few names for our listeners to just put in their back pockets. Even if you don't play Debbie Leagues where you can roster college players, just some names to look forward to watching future seasons, check out some highlight videos, check out their numbers on Jarek's spreadsheets, whatever you want to do. But Drake London, who is the best wide receiver on USC right now, uh, is somebody that I'm really excited about. So from a production standpoint, why is he so interesting to you, Jarek?
2: Yeah, he's he's almost hitting that two reception yard per team pass attempt. He's he's not actually standing out as I as much as I would like him to this year as well. He I will say I agree, he's better than Amon Ross St. Brown. He's a year younger and producing almost the same as yeah. Saint Brown, but next year he'll really have to turn it on. And if he can, he can hit, hit that thirty percent dominator, then top hundred draft capital, then he's looking at like a sixty three percent hit rate. And-
3: yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan fan of Drake London, and he's already looked better all year than Amon Ross Saint Brown for USC uh, on this smaller sample, sample size. And even last year, he he already after one season had a better production profile than Amon Ross Saint Brown did. So Really excited about that, especially when you compare them to the other guys that went off. I mean, the only players that were more impressive as true freshmen last year... Uh, according to my metrics, were like David Bell out of Purdue, and that was heavily influenced by the injury to Rondale Moore, and then George Pickens of Georgia, two names that are still ranked pretty highly among uh, us Devi and college football nerds. But uh, Drake London, from a film standpoint, what gets you excited, Kane?
1: Well, I think, I think the first thing that's worth noting, right, is that context of just how truly athletic he is. So he also plays basketball at usc and he's a starter for their basketball program right (laughs) (laughs) so like he's incredibly athletic and i think a little bit i'm not saying that he's just an amazing peer receiver right now but he's just so athletic and has every tool that you could want and i think i think that's a lot of it he is incredibly athletic and you can teach to get better on route running things right dropping your hips when you're going in and out of your breaks making sure that your shoulders are, are teasing the receiver and the, or the cornerback and the, you can use your head to do that as well. And like those things you can learn. Yeah. Right. But the thing you can never learn is just pure athleticism and Drake London has it. So that gets me super excited. And, you know, we can always bring out every football player that played basketball if we really need to uh, <laughs> see that one of those guys.
3: Yes. Please, please do. Chris Collinsworth, go on about this and tell us, tell us more. about
1: <laughs> do you want to hear about Antonio Gates? <laughs> no,
3: I don't. Oh my goodness. But yeah, Drake London, definitely a name to to note. Rising up, I think, most everyone's NFL draft boards for he uh he is draft eligible for 2022. Uh he'll he'll be probably one of the first names off the board that, that year. There are not a ton of guys that are impressing from a production standpoint. Garrett Wilson, Ohio State, is one that's come on this year. David Bell obviously mentioned him for Purdue. He's doing good things again. George Pickens has kind of dropped off though. Uh, I want to talk about him because he was everyone's almost wide receiver one based off of his true freshman breakout last year, doing amazing things. And then all the film guys loved him too. So, Jarek, what do you do with the year when when a guy actually goes in the opposite direction?
2: I I waited halfway through the year to see if he'd produce, and it just wasn't happening. So I had to drop him below guys that, that really did break out, that have that ceiling that he didn't this year. And like David Bell, Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks move in front of him and yeah it's it's just been a disappointing year he's had those breakout games towards towards the end of the season here but not enough to make up for what happened earlier in the season
3: yeah and is it there is context there though so Kane are you less worried about that moving uh backwards for George Pickens or are you still high on him
1: yeah he's still my wide receiver one um because like you said there's you know some kind of important Information that that you don't get when you're looking at just the information that Jarek is right, and that's the quarterback position. Like we all know that you're not going to have, especially a guy that that can really attack deep down the field like George Pickens can. You're not going to be able to do that with really really bad quarterback play. Yeah, and it's and it's pretty evident if you watched any of the first like what five or six or seven Georgia games or whatever it was. I think. Uh, JT Daniels only started in three of them and started for the first time against Mississippi State, which, believe it or not, um, that was the first time that uh, George Pickens had over 10 targets.
3: Hey, what do you know? Good quarterbacks get good wide receivers the ball. <laughs>
1: right. He ended up With over a, with uh, 100 yards and a touchdown. And that was the first time that he was actually productive. Right. And that he was actually a guy that that is Really, really good at football, but we weren't able to see that until the context changed. Yeah, right. We Stetson Bailey as the quarterback was really, really bad, and then like just watch those Georgia games. It's the reason why Zamir White has looked so good those first few games, right? Because he had to, or else they weren't going to win football games. Yeah, right. And so that's that's kind of the the missing context piece that that I always like to add when people are talking to analytics, because without them, it's really, really hard to blame George Pickens for not having a really high like a dot in college when the quarterback could only throw it five yards. Accurately, yeah. Right. Like, it's, it's a high a dot's just not going to happen anymore.
3: Yeah. And um, that's why cool. I love George Pickens still because I, I know the context but i also had to move him down a little bit just because i was concerned what he was actually going to do what that was actually going to do just practically to his stock if that didn't improve but hopefully he bounces back and has a more complete junior season. And we can almost discount just understanding the context of what happened this year uh, if he sandwiches this bad year with two really good years. And he'll have that true freshman breakout. So it's a complete three year story for these guys. It's not over and it's not completely written until it's completely written. Like, I, I look back on, on like Juju Smith Schuster. He had a really imperfect ending to his college career because of a quarterback switch and like half of his final season being completely wasted and so there is context and it's important to understand every bit of a player's story but because Juju Smith Schuster had the true freshman breakout like when he was still 17 and change like it it meant more to me within his production profile so to me he was still a slam dunk despite ending on a sour note so I think both sides you can learn from the film you can learn from the production and Pickens had a huge breakout so other names of note we don't have time to go in deep to these guys but John Mechie breaking out finally some this year. Not really all the way, uh, not top-tier production, but kind of kind of getting close. So hopefully he has a, a good, strong season next year to round out his production profile at Alabama. But Zay Flowers, huge surprise, Boston College, name to note there. Uh, absolutely blew it up this year when he finally had a quarterback. Uh, the context there definitely helped him out. Wandale Robinson, don't really know what to do with him, but Nebraska, really fun playmaker, uh, has decent production uh, an almost freshman breakout as well, but uh, I just want to talk about a few freshmen here and, and get your takes on like who the freshman wide receiver one should be for you guys, because I'm not sure it'll be the same one, uh, but uh, I, there is a slight chance, and, and I know who I would probably say, uh, if if you guys do agree on one guy, I think I know who it would be, but for you, Jarek, just based on production metrics and, and, and where you guys where you would rank them for future NFL drafts, what true freshman wide receiver is your wide receiver one right now for twenty twenty three?
2: Right now it's gonna be Keshawn Boute. It's gotta be with his his breakout game and he's he's looking really good.
3: That's awesome! Awesome to hear. I, I wonder if Kane, uh, Kane, uh, also on Mr. Booty.
1: He is currently my wide receiver one. Oh. I think it's worth <laughs> saying that the guy that's missing that no one really talks about right now. We're not sure why no one's talking about him, and that's Demond Demas. No one knows why he's not playing. No one knows like what's going on. Like the amount of information that's come out, and that has been really, really uh, sparse. So it's clear that he's not playing. Like we're not seeing him on the field, but yeah. no one knows why. And it, It's worth noting, right? He didn't play his senior year of high school.
3: Yeah, because of a weird transfer rule, like the best wide receiver in in high school, just missed an entire year.
1: Yeah, he he made it a point that he wanted to raise his GPA so he could get into a better college. And he wanted to do that by going to a better high school. Um, But because of the transfer rule, and if it's not your parents moving, right, then you can't play your senior year of football. You have to take a year off is the high school rules. Um so that hurt him so we're now missing 2 years of production. Yeah. Um so I have a lot of question marks now but like it's there's a reason why he missed his entire senior season and he was still the wide receiver one in the recruiting class. Yeah. So um, he might be one so of those weird he, situations
3: yeah. where he he breaks out later and is a hit anyway because of the context there. But Demond Damas of Texas A&M Uh, definitely a name to watch, but Kayshawn Boutte, that was actually going to be the guy. I was like, okay, because of what he's done recently, I wonder if that's where these two worlds meet. So I'm glad you guys were on, on Kayshawn Boutte, uh, a couple other names of note though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The booty, the booty factor really, really helping him out here. I don't, I don't think that's actually how you pronounce his name, but (laughs) I don't really know. But, uh, Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison out of Pitt is one of my favorite players this year, Uh, came into college as an athlete designation, could have played safety, could have played wide receiver, Uh, breaking out early this year. I I think he's just shy. Is he just shy of the 30% threshold now for you, Jarek? Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So he, he's shy of the 30 for me.
3: But he's still really, really close right there. Pitt is not exactly the most efficient offense, so it'll be interesting to see if, if he continues to dominate in that offense and maybe gets a little bit more efficient as he develops as a playmaker. Parker Washington, Penn State is another guy to watch. Marvin Mims has been supremely productive. And then Rakeem Jarrett. Uh, I know you, uh, Kane, were super high on Rakeem Jarrett uh, heading into this year, I believe. So what is it about Rakeem Jarrett uh, that mm-hmm. makes, makes you think he's going to hit at the next level?
1: Part of it is he's just incredibly athletic. He's a guy that was already coming into college. And it, it's something that we're seeing a lot with these guys. Is like they're coming in as like pure wide receivers already. Wide receivers that can run routes really well and that are fast and that are running like, you know, I'm pretty sure that he runs a sub five, four, five, forty. This is a guy that's like already coming in and he checks so many film boxes before he's even playing because, you know, guys are just coming in that pure of a player. So I just need to see him just progress a little bit, um, especially, you know, you're going to hear it over and over again with me, right? I love to look at route running. And there's just a few things that he needs to just clean up on that end, right? But that's something that's teachable and that's something that's learnable. That's some The one thing that you can't teach is just how crazy athletic this kid is and just how good he is at catching the football. And um, so those are things you can never take away from him. So he's, he's really, really intriguing to me because in in your guys's metrics, right? If he has a really good season next year, like there's no one else that's really competing with him for targets. You know, if he's going to he's already the top target with with a young quarterback in Talia Tegavialoa, in case anyone remembers that last name. Yeah. Um He's he's already going to uh, be a top target, and it's going to be really, really exciting because we're looking at another class that is just clad full of really, really good wide receivers.
3: Yeah, 2023 looks like they're going to be stacked. 2022 might be down unless uh, some other guys kind of step up here soon. But Rakeem Jarrett of Maryland, of course, uh, for you, Jarek, he's on your spreadsheets. Uh, He's pretty far up there on most of his production metrics and most things that mean something. He is, I believe, with his dominator over 20 percent, regardless of how you measure it. Uh, And his yards for team pass attempt aren't necessarily where they need to be. But where would you rank him uh, for that class? Is he right behind Boutte? Is he a little bit further down the list for you? Where where is Rakeem Jarrett right now?
2: With with the context of his season, he would be number two for me right now because he was producing tops in the class at the beginning of the year. Then he ended up going out with COVID yeah. for a little bit, and so that dropped. His, obviously dropped his metrics, but he he was the top of the class uh, through at least mid season in production.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so two guys, I'm really intrigued to see how they progress. They also have the recruiting pedigree, the athleticism, and if they can get the production metrics, Rakeem Jarrett, Keyshawn Boutte, those guys could be one, two when they come out in their respective draft classes. So uh, listeners, hopefully you guys enjoyed this, this weird show uh, talking about numbers and, and film and how those go together. I think they're two worlds that can coexist and can help inform each other and help check boxes as we go down and, and talk about prospects and, and their changes to hit at the next level Uh, objectively and subjectively film and numbers I think it's important to kind of add those all together so for me I just I always love having having guests on like Kane like Jarek that that are slightly more nerdy than me in one way or the other and I can uh, learn something from them hopefully they learn something from me too along the way but if you have any questions on this episode uh, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at ff underscore Travis M or you can reach out I'm sure to either one of these guys and they'd be glad to talk to you guys about their process in prospect analysis and the journey uh, that takes players from you know the beginning of their college careers all the way to the pro Football Hall of Fame but guys Kane anything you guys w- you want to kind of plug before we sign off uh, on this show tonight
1: yeah I think if you're either just getting into a Debbie league or you're just deep into Debbie leagues or to campus to Canton leagues, like this show is right then check out the Debbie marketplace. I think that's one of the few shows there's, I don't think there's really any show like it um, because we're really just diving into values. And that's the most important thing for us is talking about Debbie trades and actually how can we use Devi players to trade for prospects that we can use right now because Debbie points aren't, we're not going to get points from these guys for a few years. So they don't matter right now yeah. um, that they're just assets to trade. And so that's what we do over there. And then uh, you can always become a patron at patreoncom slash Debbie marketplace, where we uh, really dive deep into C2C leagues and just give you some crazy names. You've guar- I guarantee you you've never heard of um, <laughs> so we can always stay a step ahead of the C2C curve because those are some fun leagues and they're just going to keep popping up.
3: Yeah, man. College to Canton leagues where you can actually roster players you know, well before they're in, in in the pros and even get points for those college players in a college parallel league. That's that's my favorite way to play right now. But even if you're just into prospect analysis, Debbie Marketplace is a great show. But Jarek, uh, where can people find your work? Because uh, I think it's really fun. Uh, if, if people love numbers.
2: Yeah. So you can find the spreadsheet yourself on patreon.com slash Debbie data. And I just post them week by week there and Google sheets and download it and you're good to go. Awesome.
3: Well, appreciate you guys. Again, you can find Kane on Twitter at Debbie underscore Kane and Jarek. You can find him at his name. It's Jarek Backus and that's J-E-R-R-I-C-K-B-A-C-K-O-U-S. And uh, Kane Vassell is at K-A-N-E, by the way, Debbie underscore Kane. Really appreciate your time, guys. This has been fun. I look forward to talk to you guys uh, more here soon as we enter this NFL draft season with college football wrapping up NFL season wrapping up and uh, if, for those of you guys who are losing right now in a fantasy football playoff i wish you the best of luck hopefully you get a stupid miracle and you come back and win and if it's too late i'm sorry but i uh, look forward to uh, enjoying many more episodes uh, with you guys uh, in draft season on the college to canton podcast